Blog Talk Radio. Okay, boy, we was having a good conversation, I tell you. Boy, 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 we got some people on this radio station that just can't <laughs> believe that God can use the humble. Well, thank you for listening to us here at Live Delivers in that radio. We have commentating by Dr. McNugget this evening. Also, Chaplain John Durden. Good evening, Chaplain Durden. Good evening, my brother. Good evening. Good to be able to listen Dr. in Wallet on this. Dr. Wallace says, before we get started, education, please, Chaplain Durden, education. Uh, I have three math degrees, sir. The first one was in human resources, which means personnel administration. I hired federal employees for the Department of the Army uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia. After 30 years, I retired. Then the Lord called me to the ministry, and then I went to school, and then I got two masters there, one in Christian counseling and another one in theology. As a result of that degree, God assigned me uh, to a hospital where I was at the, the senior chaplain there. So I was a recruiter for federal employees for 30 years, and I was a chaplain for 20 years, sir. Amen. All right. Welcome to the room. And Chaplain Durden is going to have his comments today. Now, we're going to have a unique way to teach you tonight. This is for heavyweights. If you're a baby, just learn and listen, because this is going to be going into the battle with the demons in the spirit room from the fleshly mind to the spirit mind going backwards and forth. Demons love to... Uh, uh, get energy off your weakness. If you have anger issues and they know it, they will pull it up. And once they pull it up, you operate in anger. Now you're on their level. So this priest is giving examples of what he went through through warfare with the spirit of murder and control.
Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. I'm your co-host, Ryan Bethay, and in today's episode, we are going to be taking perhaps our deepest dive yet into the very nature of demonic personalities, behavior, and the strategies employed to expel these dark fiends. One must ask, though, why do demons manifest differently in different people? Do they take on the characteristics of their host, or do they bend the host to their own diabolical will? Father Martins, as always, has some thoughts on the subject. The demonic world is not a world where we're talking about one species of entity. We're not talking about the behavior of, say, dogs. Yes, different species of dogs exhibit different behaviors, but everything is contained within the nature of dogs. With demons, you're dealing with personalities that are simply united in rebellion against God. They retain their formidable angelic abilities, albeit they are perverted in every sense. And that manifests itself in different ways. And there's no two demons that are alike. As we learned in last week's episode, when demons interact with the physical realm, they subject themselves to the laws of that realm. So when a demon begins to exert his influence on the victim, we catch a frightening glimpse into his true nature and his unique idiosyncrasies. We come to know people largely through their personalities. Demons also have a personality. When they inhabit someone, they animate and contort that body according to the personality. In my experience, they seem to enter the person from the back of the person's head or the neck or spine area, if you will, towards the front. And you will see in that very brief period of time, it might be a second, might even be less, you'll see the muscles beginning from the back of the person coming to a conclusion at the front of the face, taking on the personality of that demon. You'll have some that cock their head a particular way, seek comfort in a particular position of the head. Some demons pick up the skin of the victim. Others don't do any self-violence but will be very anxious to inflict violence on the exorcist or upon his team members. Conversely, when a demon leaves, you will often see the front of the face go numb, if you will, first, working towards the back of the head. referring to a phase in the early stages of an exorcism that some call the pretense. 
where the demon endeavors to hide behind the victim, in a sense. One of the first tasks of the exorcist is to break that pretense, to flush the demon out into the open and identify it as a separate entity from the possessed. Demons don't want attention. They like to operate stealthily. Think of like on TV when you've witnessed masked rioters that cause a lot of destruction and within the pack they exhibit courage and bravery. But as soon as you take a rioter outside of the mob, that courage disappears. The process of identifying a demon can take hours or even days over multiple exorcisms, which is why the behavior of confusion was, for lack of a better word, confusing. Demon. You will respond in plain English. Answer me plainly. What is your name? <laughs> For the third time. Confusion. I will ask you again, and I command you to answer me immediately. <laughs> what is your name? Uh, I am Confusion. When he said his name, he stated it as a matter of fact, and he exhibited no resentfulness whatsoever. That's different. And... I noticed something just very familiar in his personality. Like I had seen him before, not in an exorcism, but somewhere else. It was just familiar. Now that we've established the demon must be identified, this brings us to outlining Father's personal strategy he employs when conducting exorcisms. As it turns out, there is a method to the demonic madness. Every exorcist is going to employ a definite strategy and exercise his own particular style. When I encounter a new demon, I press him to give me the answer to three questions that I ask in succession. I ask him, what is your name? For what purpose did God create you? And who is your nemesis in heaven? In other words, who is your enemy among the saints? I find it fascinating that while the Roman ritual is used in Catholic exorcisms, there is still a unique approach that emerges within each individual exorcist, a freestyle, so to speak, where they discover their own array of questions to ask and preferred prayers to deploy for specific moments. Because the liberation of a victim could take anywhere from a few minutes to, believe it or not, years, adding prayers not listed in the ritual occurs all the time. Famous exorcist Father Gabriel Amor who for decades was the chief exorcist for the Diocese of Rome, had two questions he never failed to ask demons, which were, what is your name? And how many demons are present in the body? Yes, there can be more than one demon possessing a victim. There can be many demons inhabiting a single individual simultaneously, and those demons can be and probably are possessing other individuals at some other place of the earth right now. They can be inhabiting multiple people at the same time. Ah, back to the old space and time a relative concept. We'll cover the multiple demon phenomenon in more detail in a later episode. For now, back to Father Martin's methodology. With regard to the first question, what is your name? It's an ancient strategy to obtain a demon's name within an exorcism. Jesus himself asks for the demon's name when he encounters the Gerasene demoniac in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. For those unfamiliar with the account, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is preaching in a town called Gerasene when he is approached by a man possessed. Jesus' first question to the demoniac is, What is your name? 
and the demoniac responds with the infamous line, My name is Legion, for we are many. If this question worked for Jesus, the original Christian exorcist, then it makes sense that it was adopted formally into the ritual. Knowing a demon's name allows the exorcist to direct his prayers and commands to one single entity. The demon then will feel these commands and prayers much more acutely. A demon guards and protects his name with everything he's got, so as to not put himself at a strategic disadvantage. And it's only under duress, in a state of weakness, after they've been beaten by prayers, that they would reveal their name. Which brings us to the question, what's in a name? In many occult traditions, there is a concept known as the true name, or the name of a being that expresses, or is identical to, its precise nature, that by knowing would confer mastery over the being. Names in the spiritual world are a big deal. A demon's name reveals a critical part of his identity. I've heard names of ancient gods, Mesopotamian gods, Egyptian gods, Canaanite gods. Others might be an action like rape, incest, abandonment. Gosh, I've heard murder so many times. Father Morth also confirms this pattern in his book, An Exorcist Tells His Story, writing that the names of the demons, as in the case of the angels, tell us their function. When the demon has a biblical name or one transmitted to us by tradition, for example, Beelzebub, Lucifer, Asmodeus, Meridian, Zebulun, we are dealing with heavyweights, tougher to defeat. Other names more clearly tell us the purpose of their actions, destruction, perdition, ruin, or they indicate individual evils, insomnia, terror, discord, envy, jealousy, and sloth. I've encountered one called Paymon in multiple victims. He did at one time even say, it's me again. And there is a familiarity, like, uh, kind of, ooh, yeah, okay, yeah, this is him. But you know what? It may be a different demon, for all I know. I may be one mocking another demon. Frankly, it doesn't matter. My job is to free the victim, not map out the demonic world. I think such an enterprise would be dangerous, and it's not necessary for the sake of liberating this particular person. Which brings us to an important point. While the ritual does state the exorcist should ask the demon its name, it also admonishes the exorcist not to ask questions out of curiosity, but to only ask what is useful for liberation. Straying into tangential discourse with the demon would be to invite personal disaster on yourself. It would give him too much attention that's empowering him more than is warranted. And most critically, demons lie constantly. Now, let's get back to confusion. And God be merciful to us. <coughs> Grant freedom here to your servant, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. <sighs> Ever eloquent with your words, priest. Lord, in his resistance, I ask in your goodness to increase his suffering. <coughs> increase it twice. Thank <laughs> you.
It was an unnerving experience. Through hearing these cases, it is interesting to note the wildly varying behaviors that demons can take on, ranging from Machiavellian scheming to senseless ignorance, to crass vulgarity, to supreme intelligence. However, while confusion was noticeably a more cunning demon, Father Martins did note that most of the time, demons fall into the crass and ignorant camps. Confusion? That is enough. Sound me under your skin, priest. In the name of the Father, I command you to stay silent. I'm here for you, Father. I always have silence. That which disappears as soon as you name it. And I always will. Demon, I... God, I ask that you send your aid now. Help me fight this foul servant. And then it hit me that this demon is living up to his name. He causes confusion. So I began to ignore him. No longer having fun, are we? Be Let's dive back in. 
Father just finished recounting his battle with an old foe, the demon Confusion. And as he mentioned, there are three questions that form the pillars of his exorcistic attack plan. The first was to identify the name of the demon. Once Father has ascertained the spirit's identity, he will move on to his next line of attack. The second question I ask a demon is, for what purpose did God create you? Now, whereas the first question is specifically listed in the Rite of Exorcism, that second question is one that I've just come to adopt for what it gives me. I want to know why this demon, when he was created as an angel, what place he occupied in creation. For example, I've heard demons say that the purpose for their creation was to be part of the immense throng of angels that appeared in Bethlehem over the shepherd's field. Father is, of course, referring to the angels who appeared to the shepherds, rejoicing over the virgin birth of Jesus, a cornerstone event of the Christmas holiday and Christianity at large. So, if you encounter a demon that, under questioning, claims to have been part of the announcing of Jesus' birth, just sing a Christmas carol to that demon and you will immediately see the significance. A hymn celebrating the birth of the Savior will be that demon's undoing. So his post that he abandoned now becomes the edge of the knife that attacks him more acutely than any other reality. The same reaction is also achieved with the reading of that very account from Luke chapter 2.
here. Help me know this follow thing's purpose. Then, in a moment of divine light, I heard clearly inside of me to be part of Our Lady's dowry. Out of respect, Catholics often refer to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as Our Lady, and a dowry is a payment of goods, property, or money that is given by the bride's family to the groom at the time of marriage. But the dowry that Father refers to, and the internal word he received, was actually a gift that God had predestined to give Joseph for his marriage to the future mother of God. This word revealed at least the creation of one angel, this now fallen angel who's now possessing this poor soul, that was to be a gift to Joseph. Our Lady's dowry. just catching up 
and he was sharing with me about an exorcism that he had had that morning. Father George, thank the Lord. Thank you for coming. Of course, of course. It's not a moment too soon. How long has the victim been manifesting? Six hours now. Tell me, who 
your nemesis in heaven? For the longest time, he received no answer. And finally, the demon said,
was the effectiveness of the Christian God to battle demons, as attested by many of the early church fathers. Justin Martyr, a pillar of the faith, wrote, Numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of men, though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and those who used incantations and drugs. There's a universal understanding that I encounter all the time that from other cultures, religions, and even within Christianity itself, the Catholic Church conducts exorcism like no other entity. There's a great respect for Catholicism vis-a-vis exorcism. T.K. Osterreich confirmed this perspective as well, writing, The great success of the Christian exorcist is attested by the fact that other exorcists, who were not tri-Christians, and even certain Jews, likewise uttered conjurations in the name of Jesus, as already happened in Palestine in Jesus' lifetime. And even in terms of the Protestant faith, I've been in situations where a Protestant professor will be very glad to debate a theological understanding of something, but he will very often defer to the Catholic position on exorcism. So there's a respect there. And if I do say so myself, it's an earned respect because, frankly, the Catholic Church gets the results you want. What that translates into is the demons fear the Catholic Church. There is a power there that the demon is compelled to acknowledge. Perhaps one reason why there is such great deference to the Catholic Church on spiritual warfare is because they took it seriously enough to publish a formalized ritual on it. In Protestantism, especially during the 20th century, The idea that demons could harass believers was highly controversial, and it was not until ministers like Derek Prince and Charles Kraft that a wider discussion around evil spirits began to take hold. I'll close out today's episode with an account circa late 1800s from John Livingston Nevius, an American Protestant missionary in China. A Chinese mountaineer related to Nevius that he had himself experienced a state of possession. He was busied in preparing for service to the domestic god, Wang Mu Nyang, when one night the god appeared to him in a dream and announced that she had taken up her abode in his house. After a few days, he was an unintentional on the part of the writers. Additional research provided by Anne Marie Robson and Miranda Hawkins. Script written by Chandler Mays and Ryan Bethay. Original theme and select scores written and composed by Dan Carey Bailey. Additional music graciously provided by Scuba. And you can find his music at zguba.bandcamp.com. Assistant editor is J.J. Posway. Supervising producer, sound designer, editor, and mixer is Chandler Mays. Executive producers are Carlos Martins, Ryan Bethay, and Jonathan Dressler. Chaplain John Durden, that's for heavyweights. You got the mic. Yes, that was quite interesting, talking about the different <laughs> types of demons. And, it's, you know, that's like going into a class of uh, <laughs> algebra or trigonometry and all that stuff. It's very deep. 
and it is something else, boy, to, to know that there are different types of demons, how they operate and everything like that, how they possess you, how they control your mind, and all these things. It's very interesting, and um, and I recommend all those who have not, you know, trying to learn however how. Maybe you can contact Brother Emmett. He can give you suggestions and recommendations on how you can learn more about the deliverance because we really need okay. especially mm-hmm. we got Dr. Kyle Parker uh, texting you from outside in Chapman Durden you need to be put out the back you need to you ain't no heretic you're a heretic we demons are locked up they in hell you you teaching this mess here I, I don't like you no more I'm sorry to hear that sir but demons are really real you know and the more you disbelieve in them and everything and think they're holding hell. No, you didn't believe the, in them either. Did you tell, the, no, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't believe in them. No, I didn't know what to believe. And finally, the Lord uh, told me uh, what to believe. You said you mm-hmm. said it was foolishness years ago. I heard you say no, this. That, that, yeah, you yeah, did food, it. You know, let me let me explain something, sir. I you say, said, yeah, that was, a, that was a stupid comment because I was talking out of ignorance. But you know so what? You said, At the you mercy said of the Lord. Food. Listen, you I'm talking about now. I'm talking about now. Now, the Lord corrected me. The Lord corrected me. You know why? Because I was sitting under those um, theologians in different churches, and all they talked about tongue-tied seeds and no such thing as demons or demons. All they taught me was a lie and a bunch of crap. For all those years, from the time I was a teenager going to church until the time I was grown, left my parents, and and no matter what church I joined back there uh, 20, 30 years ago, they all said the same thing. Hey, tongues has seeds, ain't no such thing as demons. Hell, you know, you're going to be, you're going you gonna to profound or speak what you've been taught when you're a young child. You figure they know what you're talking about. He's a big theologian with these degrees and some tongue has seeds, and some still doing that today, which is pitiful, you see. So, yeah, I'm learning, and, man, I love the deliverance ministry, man. I know about the spirits of infirmity, seducing spirits, all the kind, unclean spirits, how they operate, and then how they gain control, man. I find out that them demons can control you through your mind, through your sinful actions. They can control you through your desires, through your empty house. It's empty house. That means you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're really dealing from the from your flesh. Uh, they can control you. You didn't lost your mind, man. I, I'm going to put you in the mental institution. You need some help. I'm gonna I'm pay for your, because uh, you need to go in the middle institution, okay? You're oh. still dumb and stupid, man. You're still dumb and stupid. <laughs> what he say? Oh Lord! Yeah, you're still dumb. Just, hey, like you said, like this. Uh, we've been doing this a long time together. Would yeah. you? How many preachers? They don't want to deal with deliverance. They don't want to deal with it. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. They don't want to, to deal with it. You know it. what? And listen, if the tongue has ceased, and you know what? The Lord grabbed me one night and said, go home to Savannah, back to your home, and I want you to go to this church. And it was a non-denominational church, and I went there. And, and I said, sir, uh, I felt led of the Lord to come here, back to my hometown, because I was belonging to St. James AME, a Methodist church, you know. And so he says, all you have to do is believe, Brother John. Uh, go down to the altar, and you talk to the Lord. You, he sent you here. I said, yeah. He says, well, one thing I know is he told me that, you're not in sin. You're not. You're not cheating on your wife. You're not masturbating. You're not lying. You're not stealing money out of this. You're not doing this. So if you ask and you was in doing one of those, you'll never hear the Lord. He said, but the Lord told me that you are right with Him. Now go down there in faith. I went down there and I said, Lord, 
I've been wanting to speak tongues. I didn't know what to believe because all my life in the Methodist church where I've been for about 15 years, and then the Baptist church, I've been there like 14, 16 years, and they all said tongue had seized. I said, Lord, I just can't believe it. He said, that's because my spirit was controlling your spirit, my son. He said, and, I, and, he said, and so I started praying to pray. So I said, Father, Lord Jesus, I believe in tongues. Okay. I still believe. Uh, and then John, I'm ta- ta- running out. Okay. Yeah, our time is running out. We have fulfilled yeah. our slot here. Uh, Dr. Witherspoon, say, can he call you on private line, Dr. Witherspoon? Uh, Hello? Through, the limits, through, through Brother Emmett. Yeah, okay. Everybody just meet me when we get off. Sow a seed here at Live Livingston at Radio. You'll learn here a lot about the ministry of exorcism. The Roman Catholic Church, they know a lot about spiritual warfare. You got to give them credit on that. That they do. Yeah. But the praying to the Mary, the, the errors, but God still honor them for making a right to even write a book about casting out evil spirits. <coughs> I was Roman Catholic, and I, I encountered an evil spirit that was in my house at a young age. It was going through a picture of Jill St. John, and uh, an apostolic African American sister, Sister Rosa, spoke in tongues. And I'll never forget, she said, get out of here in the name of Jesus. And she looked at me. She said, you called to do this. And there I am. I'm 15 years old. (laughs) Didn't know that my life would fulfill for what that woman said to me years ago at 14 years old. Uh, I've seen levitation. I've seen people's eyes go back. I've seen people speak in four, five, six different voices. Now, if you got something in you, the demons going to pull it out so that you can't do the exorcism. You get angry real quick and you get angry and whatever caused you to get angry. It's going to move you away from the Holy Spirit. And you can't help the person now because you're an object of exportation to the devil because you've given him place. Doing the exorcism, you can't give the devil no place. In your flesh and nothing. It's best that you confess your fault before you go to an exorcism. Make sure that you have the lead and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Take no script. There's no script. I go, yet Michael the Archangel, when content about the body of Moses, does not bring in a real accusation, but says, Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. I always bring in Michael the Archangel. That's the way the Lord taught me. Different ministers have a different script, but it's the same thing. That's why Jesus said, take no script. This is why the devil don't like exorcism, because he, don't have, he can't get no format. It's no pattern. He can't pin it down, because if he can pin it down, he won't be able to come out to human beings. I've dealt with master Satanists. They can look and blanket their eye and move objects and levitate you upside down if you're in your mind. You can't be in your mind doing exorcism in your flesh. You got to be a vessel to the Lord Jesus. Stay humble. Ask God to forgive you every day. Be grateful that you're alive. Be thankful that he's called you to be an instrument to his kingdom in a ministry that's going to be very well needed in these last days. God bless everyone. God bless. Welcome to my gymnasium. Check it out. Watch this. Bring in the 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 the
exercise my tongue, so you what? I read them ready for ministry. So guess what? Run the next track. Yeah, yeah. Bless up. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Just
back, man. Come back. Come back, man. We got to have my Jamaican wife, man. She loves Jamaican, man. We love Jamaican woman. In the presence of me. 